just one announcement, one other announcement before I bring the word. If you remember back in December, there were typhoons in the Philippines. Remember, we support Pastor Saul in the Philippines and he lost his roof of the church and quite a bit of damage to the church. And yesterday he sent us a photo of the church with the new roof and it's looking even better than it was before. So, uh, and that's because of your giving that was able to happen. We were able to send enough money over for him to replace the roof and replace a lot of other things as well. And it's in 100% better condition than it was before the, the uh, storm. How amazing is that? So, and he's, he is forever grateful and just is over the moon with what they've been able to do with the money that we sent. So we took up that special offering and many people gave a significant amount of money. So you can see the fruit of your labours. Amen? So pretty incredible. Keep praying for Pastor Saul because it's obviously not an easy time. Uh, rebuilding across that whole town. So, here's the challenge. Who remembers what our theme is for this year? Oh, yeah, there you go. Well done, Eric. Growing deeper or going deeper with God and growing stronger in our faith. Amen? And uh, Julie preached an amazing word last week around obedience, one of the most significant ways that we can mature in our faith that we can grow in our faith and, and uh, become all that God has called us to. And uh, today I, I want to look at a scripture that may not necessarily seem like it's got a lot to do with growing deeper, but I, I really believe there's an insight into it that's going to give us a, a fresh understanding of, of what it takes or how we build a foundation to grow deeper and stronger in God. So I just want to pray and then we'll get straight into God's word. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing that it is to our lives. We pray that, as we know, your word transforms our lives and, and changes us and, and makes us into all that you've called us to be, to be conformed into the image of your son. And I just pray that today you would do that in our lives, whether that's the people here or whether the people watching online or even myself, Lord God that you would speak to us and open our eyes and our minds to what you would want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So the scripture I want to share with you today is John 5:19. Now, the reason I want to share it is because, you know how I've been talking about the fact that God is always speaking, God is always talking, God is always the beginning, he's always starting things, and uh, even our prayer life, we think we start praying, but actually God calls us to pray and he starts the, the ball rolling. And, uh, and over these last few weeks, I've been catching up with different people and, and this scripture kept on coming up over and over again. And when, for me, when that happens, that's a, a signal. So if you want to know how to hear God's voice, often something gets repeated over and over again. You're, you're watching something or you're reading something. I was reading the Bible, this scripture came to me and then I caught up with someone and they said, oh, I was reading this and I read this scripture and it spoke to me. And then another person said that and I thought, okay, God, you're speaking. Does that make sense? It's the way God often can communicate with us. And John 5:19, Jesus gave them this answer, it says, Very truly, I tell you, the Son 
can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. This is very straightforward. Jesus is talking to the crowd and he says these, these words, starting off with the Son can do nothing by himself and we'll talk more about that later. But then he says this statement, he, he talking about the Son, can only do what he sees the Father doing. So Jesus makes it clear that he can only do what he sees the Father doing. Think about that for a moment. Because I really believe this gives us an insight into Jesus' relationship with the Father. And because he can only do what he sees the Father doing, I get that sense that what Jesus is trying to explain to us or trying to show us as humans, because remember, Jesus is the Son of God, He is God, and He came and became human like us, became one of us, and in His life, He was showing us what is possible for us in a relationship with God. And so, in this moment, in this powerful moment, He's declaring to us very clearly that for Him, everything begins with God, the Father. Everything starts with God. The Father. So his responsibility was to watch what God was doing, to see what God was doing, and to see God as his source for everything, to see God as the one who provides all. That I will only do what I see the Father doing because the Father is my source for everything. So I'll give you an example of how this works or how. Jesus operated like this. Now, we all know that Jesus began his ministry at around the age of early 30s. Is that right? So what was Jesus doing for the previous 30 years? We only get a couple of glimpses into that time. There's a time when his parents lose him in Jerusalem and, and they find him uh, in the temple or in the synagogue. And, and, uh, and it's, I think it's literally after two or three days. They've lost him for that long. There's a, a bit of neglect going on there, but we won't go into that. But Jesus is there, and he says, I'm about doing my father's business. Like, don't bother me. This is like, he's about 12 years old at this stage. But the reality is he was wanting to be in a place where he knew God was. He was wanting to be in, in, in a place where he could see God working. So in those 30 years leading up to his ministry, he was preparing. But he was looking and seeing everything that God was doing around him. So when he taught, he taught about the seed falling into the soil. You can imagine him watching the farmers working the land and him seeing what God was doing. That in that picture, there was an example for him of what God was all about and what it was. He talked about the yeast and how the, the, the importance of yeast and, and so forth when it comes to faith and the mustard seed and all these things were all lessons that he learned from nature and the world around him to help him understand what God was doing. Does that make sense? And even the way he dealt with the religious leaders of his day, he was obviously watching how they were operating and seeing how far they had fallen from God's plan 
and God's way of doing things. And so in this statement, Jesus makes it very clear that I can only do what I see the Father doing. He's saying that, and, and he declares it straight at the beginning, I can only do, I can do nothing by myself. Or I can do nothing, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. So he can only do what he sees the Father doing. So this makes it very clear that in his relationship with God, that this is the way he operated. That God, was, God the Father was his source for everything. And that begs the question for me, and as I was preparing, it made me think about this, is that if that's how Jesus saw God the Father, that he saw him as his source for everything and that he would only do what he saw the Father doing, then it begged the question for me is, how do I see God? And I'd ask us the question here is, how do we see God? Do we see God the same way as Jesus saw God? If Jesus was the one who saw the Father as his source for everything and he only did what he saw his Father doing, then his life was an example to us of what it looks like of someone who sees God as their source. Does that make sense? His life is an example for us of what is possible in our lives. Remember, Jesus was human like you and I, and he came to show us what God was like. And he came to show us as well how we are to relate to God. I believe as Christians and as followers of Jesus, we are called to live this same kind of life, the same kind of life that Jesus lived. So if we are to have deep roots, we need to know our God. We need to know who he is. We need to know what he is doing. We need to know him as our source for everything. And we need to put our faith in him for who he is. Like Jesus, do we see God as our source for everything? Do we see God working and moving on our behalves in all things, including the dark and difficult times in our life? Now Martin Luther King quoted, gave us a quote that declares what we are to be like as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And he says in this quote, we are called to be a people of conviction, not conformity, of not moral nobility, not social respectability. We are called to live differently and according to a higher loyalty. As Christians, we must never surrender our supreme loyalty to time-bound customs or earth-bound ideas. For at the heart of our universe is a higher reality, God and his kingdom of love. This is a really powerful statement to remind us that as Christians we are not called to live life by earthbound ideas or time-bound customs. We are called to live to a higher reality. The reality of God and his kingdom of life. Now God's ways are not defined by our circumstances or feelings. God's ways are defined and governed by his nature and his character. 
For us to understand that, we need to understand and know who God is. Now, we know that God is 100% good. Isn't that right? Julie talked about that last week. We know that he is 100% trustworthy. We know that he is 100% faithful. We've been singing about it this morning. We know that he is 100% loving and 100% unchanging and 100% giving. That he is 100% reliable. But for us to really understand who God is, we need to go back to the Bible. And, and literally go back to the beginning of the Bible. Now, all of us may know this or may not, but the first five books of the Bible were written by a guy called Moses. Anyone heard of Moses? One of the most famous patriarchs of the Bible. Now, Moses wrote the first five books, and, and what Moses was described as is he was described as a friend of God, that someone who had seen God face to face or known God face to face. So God gave him the responsibility to write the first five books of the Bible because he was giving it to someone who had experienced and known God fully, as much as any man could have at that point. And so we, we know this and we remember this. And as, as we understand it, is that if Moses was that close to God, then those first five books of the Bible will reveal to us who God is very clearly. And I love a scripture in Deuteronomy that I think sums it up really well, where it says in Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey him. That's pretty good, isn't it? It's a good description of God, that he is a loving God, a faithful God, who lavishes his love to a thousand generations. Now, I, I never actually knew this Bible existed, but I discovered there's a Bible called the Name of, Names of God Bible. Anyone heard of that? It's a new one? Literal, actual Bible. Because the Jews had many names for God. And so when we translate and we put things like Lord or God, but there's actually a deeper meaning to what is going on because the Jews saw names as very, very important. And their names, if someone was given a name, it wasn't just a title, it was actually a, a description of their nature and character. Does that make sense? So in this passage, in the Names of God Bible, it says, keep in mind... That Yahweh, one of the names of God that we'll talk about in a moment, your Elohim is the only Elohim. He is the faithful El who keeps his promise and he is merciful to th a thousand, thousands of generations of those who love him and obey his commands. So we're going to have a look at some of these names that the Jews used for God. Now, there's a few different ones, and this is just a few to give you a taste for it. So El Elyon, El is the word God, simply God in singular, and El Elyon is God Most High. Then there's El Roy, is God who sees. El Shaddai, God Almighty, or God the All-Sufficient One. Then there's the, the word Adonai, which is Lord or Master. And then Yahweh, we say Yahweh, but the Jews didn't even say this word. 
because it was sacred and it was just literally no there were no vows in it like we've added vows and we bring jehovah out of this this name but the jews wouldn't even speak this name uh, it was so holy because it was god declaring i am who i am or in other words i will be who i will be i am the self-existent one i like i am it i am complete i am everything so uh, each of these names describe a different attribute of god but the one i want to focus on today that we read in our scripture is the name elohim and elohim literally means god the creator uh, you notice there in the in the um, definition it says plural so really interesting idea is that the word the singular is l on its own and the plural is elohim but it's not plural as in god's many it gives us a, a glimpse into the concept of the Trinity. That there's God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about more as we go. But the first place we ever find this name is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So if God is wanting us to know what he is like and who he is, it makes sense that in the first verse of the book that he writes to us the letter that he writes to us that he would declare who he is isn't that right this is me here i am and he declares himself to be elohim the creator and this idea that god is the creator or in other words the god the giver of life and everything we have but this name it's not just simply creator as we know it in our sense it's much deeper than that so i'm going to take you a little bit deeper because the creation of something is more than just making something isn't that right the, when you create something now i had this thought i i'm not a handyman okay I, I i don't do that sort of stuff at all but this year or last year julie and i decided at christmas time that we would try to make something to give to one of our kids and uh, just to, to help them out. And, but the reason we wanted to do that is we wanted to go the extra mile and make something extra special for him. And we actually did a pretty good job. It's not bad. Um, uh, and I, I think he enjoyed it. I'm not 100% sure. But the idea is that the creation of something finds its origin in a desire to give and bless. Does that make sense? The creation of something finds its origin in the desire to give or bless. Or in other words, if you break it right down from a place of love. So what we need to understand, like Julie and I made this cabinet for one of our kids, it came from a place of love, from a place to desire and, and, and desire to bless and to give. And this is the thing, when God calls himself Elohim, the creator, we need to understand that it's coming from this place of love and a desire to give and bless. We talked about the Trinity before, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Theologians talk about this, and, and it's a really complicated idea, the whole Trinity, but they, they talk about the life that is within the Trinity. And they describe it with a word, because they couldn't think of any other word and this word described it because it in the greek it's like 
communion and community that is unbreakable. And it's a word called perichoresis. You got that? Perichoresis. Anyone heard of perichoresis? So they literally made this word to describe the Trinity. And the idea is that the Trinity is so connected, so in communion that it is unbreakable. It cannot be... the, The love that is between them is so close and so strong that that nothing could separate them that they that everything they do is in unity with one another and in 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 oneness with one another so there's three father son and holy spirit three person but what in everything they do one thing and that one thing they do is love and this is the exciting thing some scholars go as far as to say that the result of their love and unity with one another was the life that brought to life everything that we have around us. So it was out of that unity and, and communion and oneness that it could not be contained and they created everything. By everything, I mean everything. The universe, the solar systems that are scientists are discovering are just crazy big, that that was all the result of the love that they had. And that they brought forth life. Now, if I could explain this in more human terms for us to understand, because remember, everything in nature is a reflection to help us understand God more, then the best way I can explain it, and sorry if this gets a little bit M-rated, but the Bible says it this way, is that when two people get together in covenant relationship and marry one another, that Dan's very excited about doing in about a month, that when they get together and they commit to one another their love and their commitment and their loyalty and they pledge it in vows and and so forth and they marry, that, that the oneness that they experience can then become intimate and to the point that we know that the two shall become one and that's a, an, an expression to help us understand this and that to the point where the intimacy is so great that sexual intercourse happens and the possibility is life. That because of their love for one another, there is the ability to produce life. Their commitment to one another, there is the ability to produce life. And this is an aside, but this is why God ordained sex for marriage. It wasn't meant to be a pastime. It wasn't meant to be a hobby that we could... Right, put notches on our belt and sleep with as many people as we like as the world shows us. Yeah, and they, 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 you know, you turn on the TV and you, you see things like Married at First Sight and The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and Love Island and it's just so far away from God's original plan because God's original plan was in a commitment, committed, loving relationship that you could then produce life and they could experience the love of this family. Is that right? And this is the great thing about what God wants us to understand about himself, that it's because of his great love that he could not be contained and that he bestowed life to us, that he breathed life into us. How incredible is that? This is God. This is the, the Elohim, the God who introduces himself to us. This is who our God is. The fact that God creates shows us that we serve a God 
who loves. Because God is love, as the Bible tells us, giving is not something he does. Giving is something that he is. There is no limit to God's ability to give or his desire to give because in reality there is no limit to God's love. God loves, so God gives. And this is the thing, God, God's loved and so he gave us this whole earth and he made us and then he gave the earth to us. But the fact is God has never stopped giving to us. He keeps giving and giving and giving because he is Elohim, he is the creator, he is, his heart, he, who he, he is, is to give and to bless and to create. So if you look at it, there's scripture after scripture in the Bible. I've just given you a few here. Psalm 29.11, it talks about God giving us strength. Psalm 85.12 says that God gives us what is good. In 1 Timothy 6.13, it says he gives life to all things. In 1 Corinthians 15.57, it says he gives us the victory through Christ Jesus. In 1 John 1.9, he says he gives us complete and lasting forgiveness. Who's grateful for that? James 1.5 says God gives wisdom to those who lack wisdom. He says, ask and I'll, I will lavish it upon you. John 3.16, we all know that he gave his one and only son so that he could give us eternal life. And 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, Paul asks the question, what do you have that God hasn't given you? Everything we have is from God. Everything. And this is the incredible thing, that even when everything went pear-shaped, when man sinned in the garden, when humankind decided to, take things into their own hands and turn their back on God it didn't stop God giving God kept on giving God kept on loving God kept on being Elohim the creator the giver of life and he, he poured his love out on us by giving us his son Jesus as we read in John three sixteen, that he would give Jesus his son why so that whoever would believe in him believe that he is the son of God and, and believe that he died on a cross and rose from the grave and put their faith in him, it says then that he will then give them, what does he give them? New life. That they are now a new creation. That which was dead is now alive. This is what God does. He is a giver. He is the life giver. He is the one who pours out his life for us to enjoy. And this is the incredible thing, is that, Jesus came to earth and became one of us, became human, and he shows in that moment, he shows us in our way, in the way we can understand what God is like. That's what John 5.19 is explaining is, I can only do what the Father does. So he's basically saying, like he says a bit later in John 15, verse 9, he says, if you see the Son... You see the Father. So Jesus is showing us this is what a child of God looks like. This is what God looks like. This is, this is what he is like. This is what, so if you see me, you see God. And, and, and the reality is that if we choose to follow Jesus, if we choose to, 
to live for him and we choose to put our faith in him and believe that he is God, then his declaration to us is to say, follow me. His declaration to us is literally, do likewise. Be like me. So what's that mean? So if you're going to be like me, then only do what you see the Father doing. Deep roots start when we accept what, who Jesus is and what he has done. He gives us new life. And then this new life, in this new life, it's our mandate to see God for who he is, the creator and the giver of life, driven by love. And it's our mandate to do what he does. It all starts with the God who loves us. And now it begin, it, it's us loving him and loving others like he loves Jesus gives a really powerful analogy of this in John 15. It's not changing. Help me with that, Em. In John 15, Jesus gives this powerful analogy where he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And then he says these words, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do Nothing. It sounds a bit similar to what Jesus said in John 5.19 where he says in that, I tell you the son can do nothing by himself. I believe the most significant revelation we can ever have and a revelation that will change and transform our lives is that the God who is love is our source for everything. The God who is love, the God who created everything out of his great love, is our source for all things. Jesus defines it really clearly in this passage, that he is the vine and we are the branches. In that statement, he explains that the source for the branches is the vine. You can't have branches without a vine. So he declares very clearly how the boundaries of our relationship works with him. That Jesus makes it very clear that he is the source, God is the source, and the prime mover in our relationship with him. The fact is, the vine is lit, the branches are literally a product of the vine, isn't that right? And that's what we are, we are a product of God's love. And the fact is, God's role, and this has been his plan since day one, was always to be our source. In other words, was to be our provider of all things. Our role, and the way he created us to be, is to be dependent upon him. He is our source, and we rely on him for everything. 
So think about it like this. God's role was to give and our role was to receive. God gave breath and we breathed it in. God gave us this earth and we look after it for him. God never intended mankind or humankind to be self-sufficient. His plan was always that we would be reliant on him. Sadly, sin and the idea that we could be self-sufficient ruined it all. But we find our purpose and we understand what we were created for when we are connected to God and dependent upon him. When we understand that he is the God who loves us, we understand that everything we need is in him. That means we just need to believe in him and put our faith in him and live our lives in a way that does honour him and honour that connection that he's given us with him. Just like the branch of an apple tree can't exist unless it's attached to an apple tree, so too we will never truly exist unless we are connected to God, unless we are abiding with him. You see, the biggest lie that has ever been sold from the beginning of time is that lie that we can do it alone, that we can be strong enough and self-sufficient. It's a, it's a lie and it's not true because God created us to need him. God created us to be connected to him. That without him, as Jesus said, I am nothing. Without Jesus, we are nothing. We are, we are literally nothing. And so one thing I want you to understand today, if you're going to get, build a foundation and deepen your roots in God, you need to understand that God created you to need him. And that's okay. This might help some of you relax and loosen up. It's okay to be needy. Is that okay? It's okay to need God. You don't have to do this in your own strength. He wants you to need him. He created you out of his great love to need him. He is your source for all things. He is your provider. He is the one you can rely on in all things. I want to close with this last thought. And I shared it a couple of weeks ago about the Jews. And the Jews, if you remember, I shared the fact that the, a day for the Jews does not start in the morning when they get out of bed. But a day for the Jews starts in the evening when they get into bed. It's a bit different, isn't it? So when the sun sets, it's actually a signal to them that it is now the beginning of the day. And I shared around the idea that the beginning of the day is when it goes dark because God does his best work in the darkness. That he brought light to the darkness and he brought form to where there was no form. And so that's our understanding of who God is. He is the creator, the giver of life, the one who loves and can't help but give. And, but I want to look at that a little bit deeper now because there's a really interesting thought that the Jews began their day with rest. Think about that for a moment. 
Because we don't do that in our Western culture, do we? We end our day with rest. We've been working, 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 striving, doing all we can to get things right and in control and trying to keep things in order and keeping everything lined up. And then at the end of the day, go, oh God, help me to sleep tonight. How many good night rests? So I can get up in the morning and go, go, go again and go again. Go. Isn't that right? But the Jews didn't do it that way. They began their day with rest. They began their day by saying, God, you are Elohim. You are the creator of all things. You are the one who loves and therefore creates. So I put my life in your hands right now and I go to sleep. I rest in the knowledge and the faith that you are working for me. That you love me and that you love me so much that you gave me all of this. And so I can trust you with all of it and rest in you. How, how big a difference is that to the way we think? Now we, we, we work and work and work and work and try hard and strive and strive and strive. And then we go, oh God, give me some rest. Give me, help me have a break. Help me recover and rejuvenate. Whereas they, they start by saying, God, I put my life in your hands and I trust you and I rest in you first. Rest comes first. Really interesting thought there is that when Jesus came, he came to give us rest. That's what he came to do. And for some of us, the truth is when we understand who God is, he is the giver of life who loves us, we can start from a place of rest, just like the Jews, because we know who our God is, that he is Elohim, the God who loves and creates, the giver of life. We don't need to struggle and strive. We just need to trust him for who he is. He is the source of everything, the creator of all. I really believe that when we begin to see him as our source and rest in him as our source, it will change our lives. It's to change the way we do life. Let's, try, let's stop trying to do it in our own strength. Let's actually start by acknowledging him for who he is, the source of everything, the creator of all, the God who loves and the God who gives and let's rest in him first. Let's begin to think about our day starting at sunset and resting in him when we go to bed, trusting that he has our life in his hands and we can trust him. This is the exciting thing, because when we do that, then we can follow Jesus' example and we can say, I only do what I see the Father doing. What do we see the Father doing? We see the Father loving. We see the Father giving life. We see the Father being all that we need. And so then we can go about our life doing what the Father does. Loving, bringing life to those around us, living a life of love, 
to support and love and, and come alongside and love each other. That's what the Father calls us to. That's the example that Jesus gave us, that we would know who God is, that he is Elohim, the creator, the giver of life, who loves, and that we would follow his example as his children and bring life and love to the world around us. Amen.